0: Not Bitter, bitter, Just just Better, better.
1: the all new Everton podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Not Bitter, Just Better podcast, episode 13. Unlucky for some, Mr. Johnny Seven here, as always, with Mark Math. What, what
2: did you have to say I'm looking for some for? I'm worried now that we're going to get struck by like... No, we're sitting in my kitchen, so that's probably not very likely.
1: We're, we're not sat in your kitchen, we're sat in a not-bitter, just-better studio. Sorry, yeah, uh, we're
2: sat in our uh, high-tech studio, which is actually my kitchen. Uh, hello again, by the way. I forgot to say that at the start.
1: We're going to start off a little bit differently today. We're going to uh, go back to Friday night. Well, you're going to go back there. I'm just going to relive it vicariously through listening to the podcast. Vicariously, we're starting with big words today. Uh, yeah, obviously, still
2: International Week. Our, uh, uh, you know, hated weeks that we have on the podcast. Um, so, no game for the Blues. Um, and, but what we did have this week was a, a huge Everton Legends dinner, uh, run by since1878.co.uk, and it was at Aintree Racecourse at the, the Golden Miller Suite. Uh, and I attended uh, and it was a great night was had by all.
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to play a couple of clips now. Um, We couldn't play all of it because it's what two hours that you recorded. Yeah, I recorded about two hours of exclusive
2: footage basically of of all the players in attendance Uh, but we've got a few clips uh, a few little sort of funny Tales uh, from the Everton players in attendance. Uh, and just, just so you know, who was there basically? The night was split into into two parts basically. Uh, the first part was a bit of a celebration of Everton in the 1960s. Uh, so there were, the guests that were covering those parts were uh, Joe Royal, Howard Kendall, uh, John Hurst, who famously partnered Brian LeBone in central defence for Everton in the 60s. Um, we had Derek Temple who scored the winner in the 66 FA Cup final uh, and also as a, as a very special guest on the evening, talking about you know probably the most famous football and achievements of the 1960s was uh, Gordon Banks of all people, uh, talking about England's World Cup win uh, and also talking about you know uh, the great Everton players that he played against in the 60s. Um, that moved on then and the second part of the night brought it a bit more up to date uh, and we had uh, a, a look at sort of modern day Everton uh, and also Everton going back sort of over the last uh, 10 or 20 years uh, and on that part of the show was uh, Tony Cotty, Graeme Stewart Joe Royal again did a, a little bit of a second spot and uh, also Lee Carsley uh, and Lee so,
1: Carsley that's a, he doesn't really do these things much, does he?
2: No, I mean, I, I've never seen Lee Carsley on sportsman's dinner and to be fair, it probably wasn't the best day for him because he'd just uh, been given the boot at Sheffield United a bit earlier in the day but I think we're going to cover that a bit later on in the podcast. Um, but, you know, top man, uh, after getting a bit of bad news in the day, he, he still turned up and, and entertained all the, the Evertonians that, that were in
1: attendance. I believe he was... Uh, sharing your iPad to watch the England game on Friday night as well?
2: Yeah. Quite surreal.
1: When you do these dinners, you find yourself
2: in in, in some bizarre situations. I mean, I I was lucky to, you know, to... We we help out with these dinners, obviously. We help our friend, Paul Cronin, who runs since 1878. Um, And I had the bizarre sort of, you know, role of sitting in, like, the green room with all these players. So I was sat on a couch with the England game on... And I'm looking around, and I'm watching the football with Tony Cotty and Gordon Banks watching an England game. Bizarre. But then once the dinner itself started, we had to go down into the main hall. And um, for whatever reason, the you know Inchi Race racecourse couldn't show the England game. So everyone was like desperate to watch the England game. So I suddenly became Lee Carsley's new best mate because I could get it on on the on my iPad. And um, so yeah, I was I was sat there watching England. With Lee Carsley watching it on my iPad, just surreal.
1: So strange. Strange, strange stuff. Uh, so, without further ado, though, so we head over to back to introduce Course? Yeah, uh,
2: I think we want to play a little piece now um, from...
1: Who are we going to play first, Johnny? Which, who we so We've got a little bit from Joe Royal, uh, Gordon Banks, uh, Tony Cotty, uh, maybe one or two others, if we can... Uh, Cut them down <laughs> and squeezed them in.
2: Uh, we're still working on these editing skills, um, but I think the first piece we want to play for you is uh, a story which which amused me. Uh, it's from Joe Royal, uh, and I think it shows exactly how much he loves Everton as a football club. I'd like to give you
0: another angle on the last game of the season when Everton were playing Wimbledon. And I was Oldham's manager, and uh, we lost in the semi-final of the cup to uh, Man United. Mark Hughes volley with eight games to go, and we lost <clears throat> five out of the next seven, and we're in the relegation zone. So for us to stay up, last game of the season, we've got to win at Norwich. Everton got to lose to Wimbledon, and Sheffield United have not got to win at Chelsea. If that works for us, we can stay up. Now, we're playing the best football we've played since the semi final, and we've got 1 0 up. It came through on the radio, one of the Oldham fans rushed up and thinks he's doing me a favour by telling me that I've the 2 0 down. I've got a problem. If I take my two strikers off,
1: <laughs>
0: does it look hockey? <laughs>
1: Fortunately, Norwich equalised, <laughs> and we went down. <laughs> Big Joe Royal, uh, talking about the infamous Everton versus Wimbledon game from uh, an outside point of view, so to speak, but not entirely. Apparently, yeah, he
2: must have been in a crazy position there as manager of Oldham, and you know they had a the chance of going down as well as Everton going down, and um, but you know. It's part
1: of big joke with that, isn't it? Really, you know he preferred Alden to go down and heaven. Uh, up next is a little bit with Gordon Banks, who obviously didn't play for heaven, but you know England's best ever goalkeeper in England's finest ever moments. Uh, and Paul Cronin here with the questions. Uh, obviously, England put into the final
3: against West Germany. Um, reports, and um, if people watch that final, England. Fair to say, dominated the game, but one went one, one down. It then went 1 1, England went 2 1 up, and then near the end it was 2 2, and then the biggest talking sort of point in English football history 3 2. Was it a goal? Well, of course it was, yeah. You, <laughs> you, you, you like me, saw that ball at the bar, spin three yards, over the line, and come back to that again. <laughs> I don't know, all the fuss was
2: out, I was in a great position to achieve <laughs> it. Yeah, do, do you know what the bizarre thing about Gordon Banks is? He's only a little fella, you know. I don't know why, but I always pictured him to be like, you know,
1: a big, tall, strapping goalkeeper.
2: No, really small, and it, it did not surprise me.
1: Well, he's just put to bed any any uh, doubt about that goal, there, hasn't he? Anyway. Oh, it was never in doubt anyway. Hundred percent a goal, wasn't it?
2: Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, Gordon Banks, absolute legend, uh, and. He had some great, through the night he had some great words to say about the likes of uh, Alex Young, um, Dave Ixon, uh, you know, Roy Vernon, and, and he particularly uh, paid a very good tribute to, to Gordon West, uh, you know, he said that how much of a great keeper Gordon West was, uh, obviously Westy sadly departed recently, uh, but you know, Gordon Banks really paid tribute to the man. Um, and then as the night progressed, uh, obviously then we, we got a bit more up to date and we asked uh, a few of the legends about what they thought about uh, players in the current squad.
1: Yeah, so coming up next is Tony Cotty with his thoughts on the Everton forward situation at the moment.
2: Yeah, um, I think Tony was originally asked about uh, Jelovic, uh and then gave quite a good uh, piece on Yellowich on and, and Lukaku. So uh, we'll just play that clip for you now.
3: Uh, for all Evertonians, I think you've just got to enjoy Luke Lukaku this season because uh, it's going to be very difficult to keep him next season. If he carries on like he is, he's going to be in big demand. And he, you know, I, I agree with Graeme, I can't believe Chelsea let him go, but that's Everton's game. And uh, Hopefully he'll bring the goals in that's going to keep him pushing up the league. Uh, with regards to Jelovic and Carney as well, there's no easy answer to it, the only thing you can do is keep getting in the positions and you know, I never used to worry if I was missing chances, it was when I weren't getting in the position and weren't getting the chances, that was more of an issue for me. So as a goal scorer, you've got to keep putting yourself in that position. I haven't seen enough of Yellow Bits to say that that's true, he'd done brilliant when he first got to the club, but he, he's been disappointed since then. Kone, you know, he'd done well for Wigan. Uh, but I'm not sure he's going to do it for Everton. And like I say, once Lukaku moves on next season, which he will, then Everton are back to square one. So <clears throat> I think it's been a, it's been a problem for Everton for oh, you could go back. I don't know, maybe Kevin Campbell, Duncan Ferguson. Since then, you know, who's who's really banged the goals into the club, and it's a problem they've got to solve next season.
1: Former Everton record signing there T C Tony Cotty, talking about the Everton forward line at the moment. So a little bit of a forwards insight into that.
2: Yeah, and it was special for me to meet him because uh, my first ever game as Evertonian was Tony Cotty's debut when he scored the Hatterick past Newcastle. Uh, so a good little memory for me there. Uh, I think we're going to move back into the 60s now, John.
1: Yeah, a little bit with John Hirst and talking about was probably his mo- more famous partner in central defence there, Everton legend Brian LeBone.
2: Yeah, I think John Hirst gets a little bit forgotten about in sort of Everton
1: folklore, uh, obviously because he played
2: alongside... Brian LeBoe, one of the greatest ever Evertonians and, and our greatest ever captain, but uh, uh, John s was was a cracking player back in the day, uh, and obviously won the league with the Blues in, in '69.
3: You were ever present that season, and um, I'd like to ask you: uh, you were ever present, and you played alongside the great Brian Le uh, What was it like to to partner someone like Brian? It was a great pleasure. He was an ex- absolute
0: gentleman and a great player, absolutely tremendous to be with, a great captain, and he was a gentleman, which was the nicest thing you can say about Labby. And talked about Harvey Kent and the war, as Labby used to say, it's the only team in history that's had three players of the
2: League Championship.
1: Okay, so John Hirst there, Uh, I believe Howard Kendall took exception to something John said, Mark, what was it?
2: Yeah, I mean initially Paul um, introduced the the Holy Trinity as uh, Harvey, Kendall and Ball, uh, which uh, Howie K wasn't too happy about and made Paul uh, know exactly how it should, they should be addressed which is Kendall Harvey and Vol. Kendall must come first apparently.
1: Right, fair enough Howard, how Kendall he can basically have it the way he wants can't he?
2: Yeah when you're the most successful Ever- Everton manager uh, I think uh, whatever you say is gospel.
1: Right we could pretty much include what two hours of those clips but we're just going to leave it there for now so a few minutes from a few of them uh, and we're going to go on to our news section
2: News. Yeah, it's that time of the week again, it's time for uh, all the Evan-related news um, And the first place to start this week is probably a, a recap of how our international blues have gone on over the last few days uh, Obviously it's been a bit of a crunch week for England uh, And Barclay, Bainty and Elker have been in the squad uh, And two triumphs for England and qualify for the World Cup no less
1: Yeah, overall it's been a varying week for, for the Blues uh, internationally uh, but uh, as Mark said starting off with the England players and last night's performance uh, nice little assist from a uh, good solid performance from Jags uh, Barkley didn't feature unfortunately
2: yeah Barkley didn't get on in either of the two games um, last night's obviously was a 2-0 victory against Poland uh, following on from the, the victory against Moldova uh, the other day um, and Benji played very well last night, I thought. I think, uh, well, Benji played well over both the games. Uh, made a goal uh, the other night uh, and made got an assist again last night uh, for the opening goal, um, which
1: was scored by Wayne Rooney from, with a header. Yeah, he took his staffed sumo and the off his head. And, uh, well, it, it came off his head and he uh, got a header. <laughs> so why did he have it on? I think it looks more like, like a tyre.
2: I'm starting to think it looks a bit like he's got a tie on his head, like he's some sort of like student doing a prank. But yeah, so that that was a goal. Uh, I think I put out on our Facebook uh, a goal made by Evertonian. So Evertonian's saving England.
1: Yeah, and somebody else Paul.
2: Um, Somebody's added that. Yeah, the uh, somebody else put. another Evertonian popped up with the other one, but with it's, the uh, winner. But we're not going to mention him because yeah. he's adorable and we hate him.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Matt let's just Come out today and said that Baines should be uh, first choice left back for the World Cup. I and think we we've said we said this all along, haven't we? Yeah, we've said this all along. Of course, think, we, of course we would think that way. Like. I think a lot of a
2: lot of Evertonians have said this all along, but I think a lot of other people are starting to see it that way now as well. Um, and when you've got you know high profile media pundits such as Matt Letitia, you know who's on Soccer Saturday every week pushing these sorts of views, and they do tend to gather momentum and gather steam and uh, you know and the public start to see it that way as well I think um, and uh, you know I think B- Baines just offers you so much more going forward than Cole in my opinion you know Deadly from set pieces he's got that over Cole and he, he, he's just as good a defender as Cole I, I'm not I don't subscribe to this this theory that you know Baines is better going forward but Cole's the better defender
1: I don't, I don't see that for a minute like yeah I, um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I said to you before as well about uh, when I saw the starting line-up last night, and, and for Friday, they had uh, Welbeck on the left wing. Um, I, he didn't seem to be on the left wing that much. I think I think I was a little bit worried that uh, Baines was a little bit stitched up there.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when you look at the England side, I think we've said this over the last couple of you know podcasts when it's been an interesting week, it's not the greatest England side we've ever seen, let's face it. We're, you know, devoid of world-class players, really, apart from, you know, Rooney, uh, maybe that other idiot that we won't mention, but he's probably past his best. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, when Baines has got the likes of Danny Welbeck up front uh, on on his side, you know, doing a left-hand channel, uh, it's probably not the best cover for... It's certainly not the best cover for him defensively. And it's probably not the type of player who he has a link up with going forward so he is a little bit isolated uh, and yet still he still seems to be making a you know a very good impression impression (laughs) completely forgot how to talk for a minute then yeah uh, contribution was contribution. was the word i was looking for um before my brain froze but uh yeah so i mean You've got to look, be looking at it. probably He was in for shelf for man in the match last night, I would have thought. Um, definitely a couple of good uh, 7
1: or 8 out of 10 performances from him. Yeah, um, and England's of course going to the World Cup and we could have three players there. If Barry comes on, we could have four. Yeah, in the England team, of course, we know there's more than that.
2: I still think Barry's a good outside chance of, of making it you know if he continues in the form he started for for Everton if Milner's
1: in that you know Milner came on the second half if Milner's in there Barry's definitely got a shot hasn't
2: he yeah well I mean Barry's a different player to Milner isn't he but I mean quality wise though Michael Carrick didn't exactly wrap himself in glory last night he wasn't a great performance um, what, Lampard didn't when he came on either yeah I mean if, if you think about it if one of those types of players gets an injury you know a Lampard or a then i think barry's probably there or thereabouts on the fringes so you never know fingers crossed he might get to the world cup or well it depends what your views are you might not want him going to the world cup you might want him to have the summer off so he's fresh for the blues but uh, i'd like to see him there i
1: think he deserves it Uh, in a few of the other games uh, friday night lukaku got a couple Two first-half goals for Romelu to continue his, uh, his hot streak. So. so that's that was 6-4 at that time. Obviously, he didn't score last night. But apparently, he got an assist with an overhead kick, which I haven't seen yet. But, uh, yeah, still, uh, still contributing. And it was
2: a draw for Belgium last night. Uh, but they've already qualified. So they, they've qualified. They were in a relaxed mode. So there's another two Blues guaranteed to be going to the World Cup, uh, Lukaku
1: and Morales. Yeah. What was that noise? That was a yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a yeah While, I was, while I was reading yeah um, <laughs> and Another blue who performed well last night Stephen Naismith And Gordon Strachan's been singing his praises today And last night apparently Apparently Gordon Strachan had one of the
2: Gordon Strachan No, Gordon Strachan I was about to say Gordon Strachan had one of the best Performances in the Scotland shirt in a long time last night He didn't Stephen Naismith did uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see the game, obviously, I was watching England, but from all the reports I've read, uh, they're absolutely raving about it, Stevie's super Steven Naismith scored the goal, uh, 3-1 win, Scotland over Croatia, and Croatia obviously are no, no mugs, uh, Jelovic came on I think towards the end of the game for Croatia, uh, but yeah, so good performance, obviously Scotland haven't qualified, so Super Stevie's getting a summon off. Uh, uh, but yeah, and I think it, it, Croatia are possibly in a playoff. I think, I think they are. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I didn't check that table because that's the same, the same group as Belgium. I think Belgium have qualified. Croatia are in the playoffs, uh, so it'll be looking. You know, Jelovic has still got a chance of making it to the
1: World Cup if he's still a blue next summer. Yeah, and finally, uh, I mean, there's another couple of blues going. We already knew that Tim Howard and Oviedo qualified. With uh, the USA and Costa Rica, uh, other blues on international duty. Republic of Ireland, and again contrasting fortunes for blues there. Yeah, oh, I mean, Seamus Seamus, captain in Ireland on Friday night That was a bit of a shocker, wasn't it? He did obviously. Robbie Keane was
2: missing. Who's, you know, who's been a long-standing Ireland captain and a great servant to the country. Um, did and the red shirt. and uh, did you right a bit harsh that <laughs> he, he did a good job for them. There, he was terrible, wasn't he? Uh, and it cost him a lot of money. But, yeah, obviously, it, it it looks as if, probably, you know, with Keane's coming to the end of his international career now, I would have thought, um, it looks like captain-in-waiting could be Seamus Coleman, um, obviously played for them. You wouldn't have thought he'd have had that in his locker, would you? Well, he's never really stuck me as as, as a leader, but obviously they've, they've seen something in him, and right? You know, they obviously think he's going to be the type of player that's going to play for Ireland for years and years to come. Uh, so so Coleman captained the Ireland side out, which was a great honour for the lad. Um, and then obviously they get played last night again in public. And Darren Gibson stepped out of the international wilderness uh, in what you know and partnered James McCarthy in central midfield. Yeah, I think, he,
1: I, I think he played. He played ninety minutes on Friday night against Germany as well. Oh, did he play in that outright? Oh, okay, um, but which he has not the start all season and he goes straight back in into international. Well, it
2: didn't turn out too well no it's not good news at all after about 30 minutes or so um uh, pretty much innocuous 50-50 challenge for the ball um and Darren Gibson uh, obviously got injured in the challenge looked like he jarred his knee uh, we all know he's not got the greatest knees in the world um and has who has a... who's got the greatest knees in the world yeah well, I wasn't expecting that question, John, so uh, I don't know, maybe Anderson Silva in the UFC? you can throw a few good knees into people's heads, like. Right? Yeah, know. Yeah, good thinking on your feet. Um, But, yeah, I'd say uh, it's a knee injury, uh, he's, he had to be stretched off, and the bad news coming on today is it looks like his cruciate may have gone. Uh, yeah, so pretty much his season done. It's, it's not, Before it even started, unfortunately. We all know, we've seen Blues go down during the past. I mean, Yelka missed the majority of the season. Arteta, the same. Uh, a few seasons ago, it's not a nice injury. and yeah, It's not one yeah, that's I easy mean, to come back with.
1: Those ones where, like as you said, enough knock you a challenge, and, uh, they, this, they can be so much worse, can't they? If you get a kick, what, you get a bruise and you get back up and shake it or get the magic sponge and it's okay again. Uh, the ones where you stretch or you twist or you just feel something... They're the ones that can do you in, and yeah. And if your you cruciate actually snaps, which I
2: think is is the case here, they have probably not been able to scan it properly yet because you know the swelling etc. Um, even for the fittest of players, that's a terrible injury to come back from. Um, and you know, I, I worry about I worry about whether Gibba will come back from this. I really do because it is a nasty, nasty injury. He's,
1: he's a tough lad though, so you know I, I think he can do. He's what, he's still he's still twenty five, isn't he? 25, So. Fingers crossed for them um, And luckily from a Blue point of view uh, We've got Barry who can step in For them in that position um, But we, we'd obviously like the choice To have both of them wouldn't we
2: Yeah I mean the one good thing is There's a great radical team at Everton And as I say there's obviously some experience there Of dealing with players with injuries such as this So uh, you know Get well soon Darren and fingers crossed That you'll be back better than
1: ever for the Blues next season Okay yeah, I mean that, that pretty much sums up the international fortunes of the Blues. Uh, we want to move on to what was quite a big story this week, and I believe you've got uh, some thoughts you want to share about it, the Red Bull Everton thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, a long-running subject for Evertonians everywhere is, will we ever get this this takeover that a lot of people are for? Uh, we all know about Bill Kenwright's uh, financial issues. Uh, we all think that, you know, we could do with an injection of cash into the club, either be that through Ken Wright bringing on somebody onto the board or or be it a takeover. Um, and for a long time on a takeover front, it's been quiet until this week when a rumour started to circulate uh, with regards to the, the Red Bull company. Um, now, Red Bull have got a marketing strategy or campaign, however you want to look at it, uh, that involves taking over sports teams around the world and using, you know, the sporting events as a marketing tool uh, and obviously pumping cash and pumping uh, resources into these companies. Uh, you're looking at MLS. Uh, Timmy Cale at the moment is playing for New York Red Bulls, which is a team owned by the Red Bull company. Yeah, so
1: it wasn't just a coincidence. He didn't just go and take part with this club because they were also called Red Bulls. No, they didn't. I mean,
2: traditionally, the New York club was always called New York Cosmos. Right. Now, um, I'm not sure. I think I may be wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure when he started the franchises this time, Red Bull were already on board. So from the get go, they've been called it, in the MLS. They've been called New York Red Bulls. Um, but I know Red Bull took over. Uh, I think it was Austria Salzburg was the name of the team, uh, and who were now called Red Bull Salzburg uh, in the Austrian league. Uh, and obviously, the, probably the most notable sports team that they run is what used to be the Benetton Formula One team, uh, which is now Red Bull Formula One team, uh, which obviously Sebastian Vettel drives for and has won championships. So they, they obviously use, as we said, the sport and events to, to promote their, their company. Um, it's been known for a long time that Red Bull... I think they're missing out on the Champions League, which is obviously one of the, the biggest sporting competitions in the world. And they've wanted to, to have a team in the Champions League, basically, uh, to be able to use that format and, and use that tele- the television coverage of the Champions League for, for the benefit of the company. Um, and it's emerged this week that they're, they're looking at an English Premier League club. To take over, obviously, with the worldwide Premier League rights as well as the Champions League, there'll be a lot of publicity there, and they've got three clubs in mind. The three clubs that are being touted are Liverpool, mm. West Ham, and mm. Everton. Now, if you look at it from a practical point of view, um, and you look at the pros and cons of each club, Liverpool, you know. Pro- You'd have to say the biggest club out of the three. I don't like saying that as an Evertonian, but you've got to look at it realistically. The biggest club out of the three. However, they're already owned by an American
1: company. Well, they've already sold the soul a million times over, so it's no big issue for them.
2: Yeah, they've already had a couple of, of you know, club sales. Yeah, we all remember good old Hicks and Gillette. We like them boys. Yeah, yeah. Free. They can come back anytime. Uh, and then, obviously, on to Fenway Sports now. But... I think probably the, the cons against Liverpool is the fact that do we know whether the owners want to sell and secondly I think the price will be sky high yes. ridiculously high because Fenway are going to want to make the money back and they have pumped a lot of money into that club since taking over um, second option West Ham uh, you know brand new stadium on the on the go getting the Olympic Stadium so I'm sure that could get called the Red Bull Bowl or the Red Bull Stadium and um, uh, but
1: if they're looking at Champions League football, you've got yeah, to say... A long way off. West Ham are a million miles away, Johnny, aren't they? Yeah, so they, they wouldn't, they'd have to invest in a whole new team. They'd probably, you know, re all the stadium and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, 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 the, the easy option probably would be Everton, in theory.
2: Well, that's, I think that's where all the rumours have started from this week. When you look at, you know, a team knocking on the door of Champions League spaces who were there or thereabouts and not too far away and probably could push on with a bit of investment. Everton are the the, the obvious choice. I don't think the price will put the Red Bull company off. Um, 50p? Well, (laughs) I think Chairman Bill might want a little bit more than that. Um, But, you know, it's a viable option. Um, So, is it it a good deal for Everton? Um, I am... I worried about it. I must admit, because I think it would mean wholesale changes for the club. Now, this—I just wanted—I've done a few things. Past you here, John, yeah, because uh, these are all things that are getting talked about, and whether if the deal does go
1: ahead, and I just want you to say impossible or possible. Okay. If I can do, if I've got more thoughts on it. I'll add them, but okay. I'll, I'll try and do one word.
2: Red Bull take over Everton. Impossible or possible? In your opinion possible okay they take over and they decide that they want the red bull symbol as the club sponsor now the red bull sponsor uh, symbol on the middle of the shirt is yellow, white, and two red bulls impossible or possible
1: i, I this this is a, a tricky one this because. Impossible, possible. From what do you mean? From an Evertonian point of view, a, w- would you accept it? I oh, accept. Right. So you saying acceptable or unacceptable? Acceptable or unacceptable? Right, okay. Unacceptable.
2: Unacceptable to yeah. have even uh, a bit of red on the sponsorship on the on the shirts. And, and
1: uh, it's the biggest brand, that we've got is the fact that we're you know we play in royal blue. I know there was the days where we played in salmon pink or whatever, and we've. You know, we we've, we've we've nodded back to that like with the inclusion of away kits every now and again. We can respect that, but we don't want to lose our identity. Okay. Well that moves on to so the unacceptable
2: rights. on that one. Unacceptable, okay. My next thing I wanna put here is they wanna rename the stadium. So say from Goodison Park to the Red Bull Stadium or the Red Bull Park.
1: Ah, oh, I am completely on the fence over this one. It's just a name. The stadium still retains all its history. Um, it's, I think it's a little bit different than than the than the you know the, than changing the name of the club or changing the, the, the colour. So if it was say the Red Bull Arena at Goodison Park, everyone would still call it Goodison. We'd still everyone would still know it as Goodison. Um. You might have a big Red Bull on the side of it, or a Red Bull logo, even if it was blue and white bulls or whatever. Uh, acceptable you, or unacceptable? If you Johnny? got 100, 200, hundred, two hundred, I'd say at a push, acceptable. Acceptable. Okay. Out, you know that's the lesser of the evils that you know in, in, in that this kind of corporate sponsorship would bring. And now, yeah, I mean, the million-dollar
2: question: they want to change the name of the club. So from Everton Football Club to either Red Bull Everton or Everton Red Bulls, unacceptable. Completely unacceptable.
1: Yeah, it's not you know when we changed our name from Saint Domingos in 1892 or whatever it was, um, or was that when we were to go whatever 1878 when we when when, when we started around that time we changed it from Saint Domingos FC. You know it's not that time anymore. <laughs> we, you know we're not whole city. We're Everton Football Club. We're a mainstay in the top league and we have been for, what, 60 odd years and we spent more time in the top league than any other team in the history of English football and we're Everton. We're not Red Bull Everton. We're not Everton Red Bulls. I don't think it's the same as changing the name of the stadium. Uh, unacceptable.
2: Well, that's the crux of the matter at the end of the day because we all know that, you know, Red Bull, they've got a history of putting a product name into the team name. So I think that would be what the deal would would hinge on. Uh, And I think you only have to look at the debacle over the badge. Uh, As a fan base and as a club, we're not particularly great with change. Uh, And we're certainly not great with change if it in any way tarnishes the great history of our club. Um, So I see this deal as a non-starter. I've had a lot of people on Facebook Arguing with me, saying, "Don't you want us to fight for the league? Don't you want us to be viable league title contenders? Don't you want us to move on?" Um, and I don't want to. I don't want us to move on if it means, you know, a wholesale change of our identity.
1: Yeah, it's moving on. You're moving on, but you're moving on as a different entity. And you know, you're not Everton Football Club anymore. You're some corporate sellouts like the Red Shirts or like Chelsea or like Man City you know, we're Everton, we've we've got we're the people's club, we want to I know that's a a, a phrase that was coined by Moyes, but it was, it it couldn't have been more suitable at the time Um, and you know, it rings true now Um, I just want to add a little bit, you know, when I was looking into the Salzburg takeover and that really did split opinions so much that they've got two factions now they have got the Red Bull Salzburg fans and the Violet and Whites which is what their traditional kit colours were and I think any kind of move would probably do the same kind of thing, and I think the majority would be in the blue and white corner, and just be traditional Evertonians rather than um, Red Bull Everton. So I think from our
2: point of view, we're happy next season to see West Ham Red Bulls playing at the Red Bull Bowl in Greenwich Village, or wherever you know wherever the Olympic Stadium is, um, the the I think this deal is not for me. Don't get me wrong. If Red Bull company came in and wanted to pump huge amounts of cash into the club and said, you know, we want to stick with the traditional ways of Everton, I think it's something we should definitely follow up and definitely have a look at. Uh, that would be the ideal situation. But you've got to ask yourself then, what what would they be getting out of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at those other, you know, New York, New York Red Bulls. What was their history before that? You know, the American, the American soccer. It's not you know it's not enriched with like a a big history and Salzburg you know they might have been sniffing around the Champions League but you know I'm sure they've
2: won a few trophies in Austria
1: yeah but on the worldwide team what are they Uh, the the Premier League is the biggest league in the world and as i said before Everton have been in it every year of of its existence in the Premier League Um, so for us to have a sweeping wholesale change wouldn't make sense you know, otherwise you might as well just start your own football club and bring them up to the Premier League. It would cost you far less. So, so my final so, my final question
2: to you is: You you still wouldn't accept us being called Everton Red Bulls if as an open gift they bought us Lukaku, Rooney, and Steven Gerrard, and Steven Gerrard was made to wear a Red Bulls costume and be the mascot at every home game?
1: No, I wouldn't,
2: You Still not having it? No, would you? I like the whole Stephen Gerrard just as a mascot getting degraded every week, that, that, that's a bit of a selling point, but no, I'm with you mate, I'm no. Remember the
1: one-to-one, when once once one took over and there was the talk about, uh, you know, as our, just our kid sponsor, uh, the club sponsor on the kid, sorry, um, and there was red in their logo and, you know, they eventually, they just, they changed it and we just had the one-to-one strip around the shirt. Would Red Bull do that? Would they just put, just do, uh, you know, a, a mono print? colour? Would they just... Could they still get a lot out of coverage? Well, the, the actual cans that the drink comes in are blue and white. Yeah. It's just the actual symbol it has got red and yellow on it. Do you mean, if they... What if, if they split the kit in half and did a blue and white? Is that
2: a no. step too far? It's not a good idea. So, at the minute, we're saying, uh, we're definitely saying that Red Bull's giving us the shit rather than giving us wings.
1: Yeah, what, what, why Red Bull? Why why couldn't it be Monster? <laughs> Just like yeah. that, that claw print down you? You know, here. the claw. It'd be a good sponsor,
2: especially on, imagine that in Lukaku's shirt, yeah.
1: Monster, big quality. Yeah. So come on, Monster, get your finger out. Right, um, another, uh, next bit of news. It's a lot of news bit. section, is Yeah, that, that bit went on a bit there. Um, Unfortunately for X-Blues, in uh, one of our previous podcasts we said like congratulations and good luck and everything. But unfortunately after the, only a couple of months in charge of Sheffield United, David Weir is now out of work. Along with, as you mentioned earlier on, Lee Carsley.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, he, they've had a tough time to start of uh, David Weir's managerial career at Sheffield United. Obviously new owners got brought in. Uh, you know I think he's an Arab sheik this new owner um, so that always puts you on you know sort of a, a dodgy foot straight away because new owners want to bring in their own staff basically um, but also David Weir's been been struggling for results he really has um, and he you know got sacked on Friday uh, and as you say so did Lee Carsley uh, who, who was due to speak at our dinner on Friday night i uh, fair play to Lee Carsley. You know, we, he still made it. Uh, I'm sure he was probably not in the greatest of places when it came to you know how happy he was. But um, you know that, that's football for you. That that's that's the modern day game, isn't it? As soon as you know results don't really go your way,
1: uh, then you are looking at the sack. Yeah, unfortunately for Sheffield United, after 11 games, they have got five points and they are rooted to the bottom of uh, League One, so, yeah, he didn't really do the best job there, so, unfortunately, he's
2: out. Uh, and I think uh, I think afterwards, we has come out and said something along the lines of, he probably thinks he's better going back to being a coach for the time, being rather looking for another managerial role. I mean, I, I think his, his specs has been filled at everything now, hasn't it, by uh, David Unsworth, so... Uh, I'd love to see, you know, Davey Weir and, and Lee Carsley get another job somewhere in football, maybe go to a club where there's other Blues at, for instance, and and, and start building their careers back up again.
1: Yeah, player you just mentioned there, David Unsworth, turns the big 4 out today. Did you know Stone, oh, years. <laughs>
2: <ago>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's always been 40 stone, hasn't he? Yeah. Even in his playing days. David
1: Unsworth, 4 40, 40 eh? Yeah, I remember him coming onto the scene, do you? What the hell? He's only five years older than me. He's um, older than that. Right. Uh, something you mentioned before. Uh, the club is, has started a new scheme. Uh, discounted away games? Yeah. Um, it looks like it, there's a bit of a
2: national push on at the moment for um, bringing down the prices of away travel and trying to encourage away supporters to go to games. And Everton seem to have got on board. I think Everton are offering... Uh, Discounted away tickets to some of the, the travel and support coming to Goodison in the near future. I mean, I was surprised when, for instance, when we played Newcastle at home the other week, uh, and they, you know, they, the whole of the, the upper deck of the, the, the away part of the Bullens was completely empty, and they didn't even fill the lower deck. Now, I know it's a Monday night game it's on some it's dogs, though, for Newcastle, isn't but, it? But, you know, Newcastle oh. have this supposed wonderful away support. So you've got to start asking questions about, you know, is it the price putting people off? So I think there's a number of games where the, tick, the away tickets are going to be discounted right the way down to twenty pounds each, uh, and there's a couple of Everton away games that that's going to happen out as well. So um, that'll be a, that's good news for, for the Blues, uh, and I'm sure that ourselves, and since 1878, we'll be getting all of some of those tickets and uh, be able to do really good deals on on travel down there on the coach and, and a matchday ticket. So you are probably able to get an away trip for about 30 quid, 35 quid, yeah. which is a
1: bargain. Bargain indeed, yeah. Uh, also, games, uh, this coming up, this, uh, this week, against Hull, I just saw this today, it's going to be Retro Saturday. <laughs> retro <laughs> yeah, Saturday. The, the Hull versus Everton game, so there's going to be all kinds of things going on. Does that mean we have to get up and watch going live? Well, what's retro What period of time? I thought it was just, like, a few years ago. That's retro. But what's a few years?
2: I always... Retro is surely anything that's gone out of fashion. So, I would say at the minute, no. to me, retro,
1: I probably think of the 80s. The 80s. Well, by retro, uh, apparently there's going to be a 60s band on... That's very retro. Yeah, so that's retro.
2: When you say there's going to be a band on,
1: where on the pitch? No, I think it's uh, in one of the uh, one of the suites or whatever around the ground. Is it the suite? Yeah, the suites or in a suite. Are they eating sweets? Are yeah, they eating sweets as well? Sitting on a three-piece suite? <laughs> <laughs> that was too far, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, and also this this made me laugh a little bit. To going back for the day to the traditional adult toffee lady. Which, when I first started going yeah, to match... Yeah, baby. When I first started going match, it was um, look, probably probably maybe like 16, 17-year-old toffee lady, and she was evil. So like, I don't know what... I, I don't get to the match that anymore, because I'm you know, a little bit older now. Um, and uh, But I'm assuming the kids just throw the sweets into the, into the crowd... This one, she used to make her way around the ground like a Terminator and <laughs> throw the sweets at the crowd. Did you know you were in trouble when the little red beam out of her eye <laughs>
2: stuffed on your forehead and then never bounced off your face? Yeah, you look around the ground, the ground would look
1: empty because everyone's hiding behind the seat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll avoid uh, pre-kick-off again. Do we know who this week's adult lady lady's going to be? Can I throw Tony Duggan's name into the hat? Yeah, you could do. I don't think she'd be uh, up for it, though. I think she's too busy scoring asterisks for England ladies at the moment. Well, oh, well, what I thought to to. Um, <clears> that. But there's also a big push uh, for Everton fans to dig out the retro shirts, and I'm just wondering whether my 1995 season uh, cup final winning shirt is that retro enough. Yeah. The one with the That's retro enough, I think. It's not yeah. gonna go anywhere near you though. You're not as good as to be that. Like, that's another oh, oh. matter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be about there's gonna be like thirty thousand Evertonians with belly tops on. Yeah, <laughs> twenty
2: twenty stone alehouse fellas all trying to get back into the, the you know the tops the that they had when they were fifteen, any NEC tops like and the the And the halfnier. The pink and blue striped any
1: top um, poured into it. But well, um, yeah, it should be yeah. You know, should be an interesting day if you do it well. I suppose something else I saw before is around the match hospitality suites. Uh, Jeff Astle. No. Jeff Say again, Jeff Hirst. <laughs> not Jeff Astor. I'm thinking Astor's dead. Thinking so I hope he's not turning I'm thinking of Fancy 40 there, aren't
2: I? You are, yeah. Uh, and, and he's dead. So if he turns off, I will be amazed. Do you really? I'll push that retro boat out a little bit.
1: Who else? Who else? I don't want to get into the names. Uh,
2: it's Jeff Hurst, uh, and then some Everton players. Ray Wilson. Ray Wilson, that's the one. And there was some Derek Temple. Yeah, I'm Derek Temple. i Derek. Danny. I'm Diggs. Yeah. Um, he's going to be there, so... Yeah, you know, they should bring them out on a pitch and obviously
1: after England qualifying for the World Cup it'd be alright to see Jeff first, won't it? Yeah. So, quite a long news section there. Um, any actual news or any news? Uh, give yeah, give yeah injury
2: bit. probably and, and the Red Bull stuff obviously. But should we do a retro podcast next week and maybe record it on a cassette team? With one of those big reel-to-reels
1: and great big can headphones and... Beards. Let's have beards. Beards and flares. Not the type that people throw into crowds Like the trouser
2: type I'm glad you pointed that out Because I was never thinking about the ones in the crowd But yeah that's it for the news this week um, What are we doing next is it? Hall of Fame Oh no we need a preview of uh, the Hull <laughs> I forgot that we played matches anymore It's been that long yep. um, Yeah Hull on Saturday So uh, listen to this clip And we'll be back with a preview of the whole game I'm Kevin Cheedy and you're listening to the Not Bitter, Just
1: Better podcast. This is the Not Bitter, Just Better Everton podcast. If you haven't already, go and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash EFC, Not Bitter, Just Better. Or you can find us on Twitter at Just Better EFC. Okay, so as we do in weeks, when there isn't an international break, which seems like every other week at the moment, uh, we have a look at the match ahead. Which this week is Hull City coming Hull City Tigers, sorry, coming to Goodison. Now, they still Hull City at the moment. Uh,
2: they it might be Hull Tigers from next year, which, is be, next year? if I was a Hull fan, is something I certainly wouldn't be very happy about. Um, and I mean, great start of the season for Hull City. Uh, yeah, it's a bit it tricky is. fixture, really, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, you. You would have expected to be going into this uh, this fixture thinking Hull City would be down in the relegation places and, and it would be an easy three points for the Blues but in, in actuality they're the one point behind us and one place in the league behind us um, in, in eighth place and, and we've had a decent start to the season so by their standards they've had a very good start to the season.
1: Yeah so decent enough start as Mark said and in the last games uh, obviously we went down 3-1 to Man City and Hull... Drew nil, nil with
2: uh, Aston Villa and well, Aston Villa have been playing okay this season as well. So again, another good result. Um, you know, having a look through the whole squad, uh, decent keeper this season and Alan McGregor has been doing well for them. Steve Bruce obviously brought him in in the summer. I think they got him on a free as well. I think. Uh, I don't know if you can remember that transfer, Johnny. No, I can't remember at all. It was one that went under the went under the radar a little bit. and uh, they've obviously bolstered. Uh, Midfield quite a bit with the signings of Tom Huddleston and Jake Livermore, bringing them in from Spurs. Uh, Huddleston's on a permanent deal, Livermore's on loan at the minute. Uh, Danny Graham's on loan up front from Sunderland. Uh, And then, you know, there's quite a few names that, you know, have got a lot of Premier League experience, mainly Figueroa, Curtis Davis, uh, Robert Corran. So, you know, quite a few players there who who, who bounced around the, the you know the the top place. Curtis
1: Davis, I thought he could only play for clubs in the Midlands.
2: Yeah, I know what you're saying there. Yeah, where's he been? Has he been at Birmingham Villa and and West Brom? And West Brom, yeah. But he have Wolves as well.
1: Possibly, I don't know. I can't
2: remember. Poss- I, I mean, I remember at one point Curtis Davis was like the next big thing, wasn't he? Like touted as being a future England captain, but then never really seemed
1: to to push on. Yeah, he's decent. He's got a bit of pace and uh, good, good, quite solid as well. So, it'll be definitely, as I said, it'll be a tough game, isn't it? Um You look at the the Blues, uh, they'll probably have Barry come back in, straight back in. Uh, obviously, Dibbo, unavailable. Uh, McCarthy probably keep his place. I think Naismith will probably drop down.
2: Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, I don't know if PNR's well, any closer. We say this every week so far, on, or the last few weeks and at least. The same the with Alcaraz. Uh, the way the well, I mean, let's face it. Alcaraz isn't going to go into the starting lineup anyway, and he probably would struggle to make the bench fifth or not. So, I think he's.
1: Um, there was talk about Pena and Alcaraz both being available for selection, but then I've just seen today that uh, Bobby M. said that he doesn't want to throw him straight back into the lineup. He doesn't want to risk him. Pena. Pena, right?
2: Okay, so possibly Pena on the bench. We think then. So more than likely, it's probably going to be the same start eleven that went out against Man um, City. You would think Stephen Ayshmith's done himself no harm with his performance. Uh, I can see. I see. Barry's got to come straight back in, though, hasn't he? Well, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Because Gibson started on the bench against City, so yeah, yeah.
1: Barry in for Ayshmith, the only change. I can, uh, Morales is going to keep his place, isn't he? You just thought? Yeah, yeah definitely so who else would drop down Osman Osman possibly but I don't think Barkley's going to drop out is he no no uh,
2: and obviously he'd be fresh because he's not played in any internationals so uh, yeah so batting for Nate Smith is the only change that, that we can see um, and you know will the Blues get three points on, on retro day uh, <laughs>
1: Would it be in retro? Will we still get three points or will we get two points? Will it be that retro? Hopefully it'll be retro as in 85 season retro and we'll just batter everyone. And Andy will scored one. a diamond header for us <laughs> or something. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I can't see anything other than three points for the Blues, really. Cull have had a decent start to the season, but as you look through their squad list, there's nothing we really need to fear. I wouldn't have thought. Um, these are this is the type of game now that over the last season or so, last couple of
1: seasons, we've struggled to put teams like this away at home, haven't we? Yeah, for for as long as I can remember, we struggled against teams like this. And uh, you know, in the first when West Brom came, they were the same similar kind of form, I suppose, similar side, type of team. Um, and we didn't. You know, it was nil nil. So hopefully we pushed on since then, and we can you know really assert ourselves onto the game early, and uh, come away with the three. Yeah, I mean if the weather's anything like it is today, it's
2: going to be a miserable wet grey afternoon at Goodison with a miserable wet grey sort of team turning up, isn't it? Um, and, and you know we just need to raise our game and make sure that we uh, we do our jobs and, and get three points. If, in the any-
1: if it's anything like today, like the rain today, I think. You'd probably best taking snorkels and uh, flippers to play because we've just been playing in it and it wasn't the best, was it?
2: Yeah, halfway through recording this podcast, Johnny and I went off for a game of football uh, with with the lads that we usually play with. Not uh, in the streets or anything. We're not five. No, well, that would have been better actually. <laughs> now we went for a game of seven aside down our local uh, seven aside place and. Um, yeah, it, it was wet to say the least. So if Goodison tears anything like that, our pitch was today on Saturday, then the ball will be uh, fizzing around a little bit. But uh, I'm going to go with a prediction of I, I fancy Lukaku against their whole centre half. So I really do. I'm going to go two nil to the Blues and two goals for for Romelu.
1: I'm hoping I'm hoping you're right. And uh, I got it wrong last week, didn't I? I uh, I, I said that Lukaku has scored five in three. When he only scored four in three but now he's got six in f- six in five international games included
2: you can't really include international games
1: well four and he's got four and three for blues um, so I'm hoping he can carry on and if he carries on in that in that form, you can have like 45 goals this season, like our mate Nick knows best on the uh, yeah, Nick knows footy, Nick oh, yeah, knows Nick footy. footy. That's the
2: one our favourite American after Landon Donovan and Tim Howard. Um, if, if anyone listening to this podcast hasn't tuned in to Nick knows footy on YouTube uh, or on our page, we do like to post his videos. You need to get on this lad because it's comedy gold, isn't it? It really is. Uh, he's, he must be Everton's biggest fan in America, don't you think? Yeah, probably apart from Tim kale and Landon Donovan, he probably is. Um, and you know, some of his insight into he, he puts us to shame, doesn't he?
1: Really, with some of his uh, some yeah. of his knowledge. I'd say watch out, watch out, uh, Jeff. Watch out, Latisse. Watch out, all these uh, Soccer Saturday pundits because Nick knows footy. He does. He does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, are we going to get a score prediction from you this week, Johnny? No. Oh, you, do you know what? You just, you depress me when you won't un- predict. I told you I tried it once, um, I was all optimistic, and I was like, oh yeah, I think we can get a 2-0 or whatever it was I said, and then, it was absolutely piss poor. <laughs> so, superstition. Um, well,
2: and obviously, Everton being a home means we should have a little bonus podcast on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: Bit of a, uh, day special, so... We'll, try. We'll,
2: we'll, we'll do our best to bring you on. They're not the easiest things to do because obviously, you know, match days are pretty hectic and we tend to be surrounded by loads of drunken idiots uh, who like to shout things every time we try and record. So we'll do our best to bring you a little uh, Match Day Live podcast this week. Uh, and hopefully, as I say, Romelu will inspire the Blues to air another three points and onwards and upwards for the Blues.
1: I wonder how many people go to check their phones when the A Z cars playing. Because you know when you're around the match, and like you're A Z cars, not when the players are coming out, but you Z cars playing. I don't think anyone's going to check the phone when the players are coming <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, of course. But how many people go to grab the phones because it's like every every other blue's got Z cars as their ringtone. I wonder how many people go to check. It's interesting. Maybe we should do a podcast, survey. Right? Yeah. Or well, maybe not. Because yeah. it'd be boring. Anyway, (laughs) Anyway, enough musings. Anywho, uh, it's time once again for the Not Bitter, Just Better Hall of Fame. And Ma, who is in this week's Hall of Fame?
2: Well, obviously with the legends dinner last week, we wanted to sort of tie it in with them a little bit. And we looked, there was a number of legends, Everton legends there to to choose out of. But this week, we plumped for some of the I Guards as are 100% true blue. And out of all the people I've ever heard talk about Everton, talk about the time at Everton, nobody does it better than this man, and nobody shows more passion for our club. So, Tony Cotty? Not Tony Cotty, Joe Royal.
1: Yeah, another great welcome addition into our Hall of Fame. Uh, the the things he's done as both player and manager which we're going to talk about now it's just he's a true blue legend Everton number nine yeah a true Everton number nine say no more probably
2: you know one of the most loved Everton number nines along with Aruna Kone would you say yeah I think he's definitely battling up there for the top spot I think he definitely just pips Kone I think um, but yeah, obviously, you know, we all know how, how great uh, that shirt is and, and the number of players who have worn that, and, and Joe Royal certainly fits in there with the likes of, you know, Delatch and, and Dixie. Uh, born, Joseph Royal. No middle name a sweet fear to guess, Johnny, unfortunately. Just plain old Joseph or Joe Royal. Yeah. Yeah, is that... Yeah. I thought you had something to add then, you're just going, yeah, okay. I thought, I thought you were going to ask me where he was born. Well, I was getting stuffy. Where was he born? McGull. Well, I've got Liverpool, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're telling me it was McGull, I'll take McGull. I don't actually think it was McGull because he actually attended a quarry bank high school, which so is... To the other side of Liverpool. Which is Walton Way, and I think, I may be wrong, but I think that was the same school as John Mallon. Oh And where were the Beatles formed? Well, they were the, around the quarry bank, Earth, they were called Earth. the quarry men. But they were at Walton Church oh, or, or yeah, something, yeah, early, yeah. so uh, knowledge is the bomb people. Um born on the eighth of April, what year do you think?
1: Ooh, when whether we two thousand thirteen now, fifty three, maybe the He's thinking he's had enough. Mental dexterity
2: doesn't come across very well on a podcast this day. <laughs> off. <laughs> have a guess. Forty nine. Correct. Get it. Hey, well done, lad. Uh, Age 64, I can't believe he got that right. Uh, he's not, obviously, Joe Royal is now aged 64, so next year he gets his free bus pass, which would be nice for him. Well, he won't be getting his pension, because that's gone up to 70, hasn't it? Eh, uh, I don't know, I think it's still 65, but he'll get his bus pass, so he'll have unlimited access to the, the 53A and 82. Um, right, as anybody would want for any overseas listeners, they are bus routes, and that was a terrible joke. Uh, but as we get back to the hall of fame now, instead of just talking about yeah, you get know, get on, travels, get on the
1: fifty three back to the hall of
2: fame. So as we said, Joseph Joe Royal uh, was born in nineteen forty nine um, and started off schoolboys Liverpool school boys. Uh, and had a number of professional clubs interested in him. Uh, And when he first started his professional career, he had the choice of two clubs. And surprisingly, it wasn't Everton and Liverpool, as most scout schoolboys would find themselves in a position of. It was Manchester United and Everton that were interested in him. Um, And being a boy old blue, good old Joe opted to to sign for (laughs) Everton. Uh, And at the age of 16, and at the time, he was the youngest player to play for Everton. Do you know who broke that record? Who took away his long-standing record as the youngest player to play for Everton? Rooney. I would have gone for Wayne Rooney. Vaughan. James Vaughan. I know he's the youngest. uh, James Vaughan still holds the record for the
1: youngest ever goal scorer.
2: James Vaughan uh, broke the record in April 2005 and beat Joe Royal's previous record by 11 days. Um, for five seasons, uh, Joe Royal was Everton's top scorer, uh, and I suppose the one the season he's always remembered for, which was something we asked him about uh, at the dinner on Friday, uh, was his 23 goals that he scored in the Championship win side of 69 to 70. Uh, obviously, as we say, winning a, a League Champions medal with Everton,
1: which for a boy of Evertonian, doesn't come much better than that, jelly, does it? No, uh, and uh, starting his, career, his Everton career, I believe he was a little bit, uh, he got a little bit of stick because he came in and actually replaced uh, Alec Young, the golden vision. Yeah,
2: he did, and I think coming in exactly as a young boy, when he first broke into the team, he wasn't a huge strapping sort of centre forward that you sort of associate him being now. Uh, he was like a, a slight sort of young kid. Yeah, so I think So he did sort of get a bit of stick at first. Um, but he, he played for the Blues from 1966 up to 1974, so an eight-year span. Uh, and in that time, he made 231 appearances and scored a total of 102 goals. So, virtually one and two. Yeah, not bad. It's not a bad record. Not bad at all. Um, Then after, uh, obviously as we said, in 1974 he moved on and he moved to another club he sort of had quite a bit of history with. Uh, He tends to have stayed on the North West really as Joe. He moved on to Man City. Uh, He was bought uh, by the Man City manager at the time, Tony Buck, for £170,000 and went on to win the League Cup with the uh, Sky Blues in 1976. He then, you know... As his career sort of started to, to dwindle down a little bit, he had at uh, Bristol City uh, and also Norwich City uh, between, he played right the way up to 1982, uh, scored nine goals and 42 appearances for Norwich City uh, between 1980 and 1982 and he's actually been admitted to the Norwich City Hall of Fame, did you know that? It's not as prestigious as our one, though. It's not as prestigious as... And they must be struggling if they put somebody in who only made 42 appearances and scored nine goals. But there you go. Apparently there's him, Delia Smith, and a jar of mustard in the whole of Fame. Yeah, good. Effin uh, Akoku might be the next one to go in now. Remember him? He's was horrible, wasn't he? And Jeremy Goss, because he scored two volleys. Yeah. Um, Joe then never really disappeared out of football. Went on and started a, a managerial career. Uh, And he started his managerial career with Oldham Athletic, who I think he's had a couple of stints with uh, during his his time as a manager. Uh, And he managed Oldham for a whopping, I mean, you talk about David Moyes doing this sort of thing, a whopping 12 years between 82 and 94. Uh, and I think that was across the start of the Premier League. And, uh, Oldham, uh, some of the younger listeners
1: probably don't remember this, but Oldham used to be a decent,
2: tough, flight side, didn't he?
1: Yeah, and he they had uh, quite a good association with X Blues as well. I think around the you know around the time just before uh, Joe actually left, uh, he he had Graeme Sharp there as well. And Graham Sharp going to manage? He did. Sharp, so yeah. he was there for a while. I always
2: remember they had this striker that used to play for them at Oldham Club. I think his name was Andy Bunn. Or Don, or I think it was Bun. I'm pretty sure it was Bun. He was a little baldy fella. Wasn't that Andy Ritchie? Oh, might have been actually. yeah. Where did I get Andy Bun from? <laughs> possibly, possibly. But he was he a little baldy fella. Yeah, he to, he was, yeah, yeah. and he, he really used to put himself about, but he used to play really good football at Oldham, um, and and you know. It be all I heard of now, but you know I remember Oldham reaching the semi-finals of the FA Cup a couple of times. Yeah, I
1: think uh, at the start of the podcast we had that little feature with you know from the legends night, and there was that little clip from um, from Joe Royal in there, and he mentioned that semi-final. I think it went to a replay, didn't it? And Mark Hughes came up with a volley and took United through. And then I, I don't think uh, Oldham won another game after that, unfortunately. And it was I think it broke the heart apparently, and he went down that season and. Blues, so I had luck with how it stayed up. Well, as we mentioned, yeah, obviously, uh, as Joe talked about at
2: the start of the podcast, uh, that was the season that, obviously, we beat Wimbledon to stay up, and we've been in a bit of a dogfight with all of them, uh, so luckily they were the ones who went down. Um, what I did want to touch on was, going back to 1990, and it was after uh, Bobby Robson announced that he was going to be leaving his job as England manager after the Italia '90. Um, and there was a three man shortlist for the England job. And the three men on that shortlist were Howard Kendall, who'd just about won the lot in English football, Joe Royal, who was doing an outstanding job at Oldham, and Graham Taylor. Hey! And Graham Taylor was given the job, which, looking back, probably wasn't the best thing the FA have ever done. That um, no, was a bit, bit of a disaster really, wasn't it? And that was really Cowie Kay and Joe Royals' big chance of getting the get England job and it would have been great to see either one of them, I think, as England manager. Erm, um, but as we move on, uh, after losing his
1: job at Oldham, erm, um, he came home. Yeah, there was a little bit of a spell in between, um, but... Uh, we had we had uh, who did we have just before then, uh, one of our most famous and legendary managers for all the wrong reasons. Mike Walker, super Mike Walker. Oh, Mike, even saying his name just gives gives me a shudder up my spine because he's a uh, just absolute nightmare.
2: Mike Walker knew nothing about our club today, and he, he never really got it. No, and if if anyone was the opposite to Mike Walker, it was Joe Royal, who, who absolutely. Love the club and we we'll bleed blue basically.
1: Yeah, so we were what? What about you know bottom of the league about uh, ten games into the season? In, was it ninety four or ninety five? Uh, ninety four. In ninety four, uh, Big Joe Royal comes in, saviour of the blues. First game in charge was a Goodison derby, and um, what did we do? Did we win, Charlie? Yes, we did. Uh, Big, Big Dunk gets his first goal junction lad Plays his part In the second goal Which uh, Paul Rideout Manages to finish off Both goals down The Gladys Street Both goals sent the Gladys Street Into ecstasy And we were all just Going absolutely mental Because we didn't know What a goal looked like for our bat Saving season <laughs> <laughs> And we got <laughs> dark times Yeah we got two goals In one game It was unbelievable um, Yeah And what, what a way to uh, What a way to Announce uh, Announce your arrival As the uh, As the Blues manager yeah, and it's safe to say that
2: Joe instilled probably the team spirit that, that's remained with the club up until this day. Yeah. Uh, a close knit group of players. Uh, you know, you may look at the squad and uh, think, you know, that's, they're not the greatest players that have ever walked out onto a football pitch, but he really instilled the team mentality uh, and, and, and the Everton way back in, into these players uh, and went on to win the FA Cup final in, in 1995,
1: yeah, that, that, our last trophy. That same season? Start off the season completely adrift drift uh, With Mike Wolf in charge Completely hopeless, Everton just fearing the worst And then, obviously Joe comes in Turns it all around And to top it all off We have a great FA Cup run And go on and beat uh, You know, favourites And also uh, League contenders And you know the, the champions at that time Man United in the final So... Uh, with, with Joe, as you said before, you know he he, start, he started that kind of team team mentality that we've had over the past you know nearly twenty years now uh, since he since he took charge. But he, he added quality to it here and there as well, and you know it really it really started something for the Blues and started us. Uh, we've had a, a few bad times since then, but it really put us on the road to somewhere, and we're still on that road, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, and then obviously that was his common achievement as manager of Everton. Um, obviously, and then he left Everton. Um, in I think it was was it ninety six? Was it or ninety seven? Uh, ninety seven, he left Everton uh, and spent a little time out of the game before returning to manage Man City. Uh, and Man City were in a, in a good state at the time. Uh, they were looking at relegation, uh, and this was in February ninety eight. Um, and he couldn't save them from going down, basically down to the, down to Division Two. Um, I think the highlight, I remember a little story coming out that time uh, when he, he got Joe Royal had a physical fight with Paolo Onechop. Remember him? And I, I'm sure Paolo came off worse. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I, I think he'd probably try a chop, and Joe would just send the head in. <laughs> so, uh, and then from Man City, he went on to again, as his sort of managerial career wound down a little bit, he had a good four years into Ipswich before a short stint back at Oldham, um, and that was in 2009. He's not managed anywhere since, uh, but he has been a regular mainstay on the likes of uh, SPNs and and various punditry shows. Um, As I said at the start of this tribute to Joe, um, if you've ever heard Joe Royal speak about Everton, you'll know what I mean. If you ever get the chance to go and see him live in a dinner, or, or any events related to him football club I urge you to do so because the man's passion for the club is is second to none probably um have you, I mean he, he opened the dinner this Friday and closed it and, and there was no be- better man to, to do so really in my opinion
1: yeah he, that started off you you know he, he played played that tribute you know, so you played me that tribute before that he, he made to Dave Hickson it was the first big event, really. That uh, you know that the, the legends had spoken at since Dave's unfortunate passing this early this year, and then obviously closed it with a, a few stories, which we're going to include after the podcast run down. Um, yeah, and I, I, I managed to uh, see him at one of the big events last year uh, and meet them, uh, meet the man, and just a just a proper true blue legend, and it's it was an honour and it's an honour to hear him talk and it's an honour for him to be associated with the club.
2: Yeah, he still knows his stuff about football. I watched some of the England game with him as well the other day and, you know, to hear his insight into football first-hand, brilliant. Um, and, you know, what I, what I will say about Joe is, you know, I think he'll be, he's always happy to meet fans uh, and he, he's going to be around our club probably, you know, for the, for the rest of his life now. Uh, I'd love to see, get, see him get given a role by... Yeah, the some club. kind of ambassador,
1: um, ambassador role or something like that. That'd be great,
2: yeah. Yeah, he deserves it. Um, and we're going to close out the show today, basically, with uh, probably... He's he's famous for, obviously, winning the FA Cup as a manager with Everton as well as all his playing accolades that he bought. I would say probably the game that sticks in my memory the most um, through his, his stint as manager was the FA Cup semi-final. Did you give it
1: that against Tottenham? Yeah, that, that 4-1 victory at Ellen Rhodes, which was just...
2: Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was one of them days where the Blues just clicked, wasn't it? And
1: it was the, one think, of the uh, great Everton performances. I think all the players will tell you, and every, every fan from that side, you know, all the pundits, they wanted this dream final, and they, they had it on there, you know, uh, Tottenham versus Man U, and it was basically, the, it was a safe, and it was being pushed as that, and upstepped struggle in Everton. And tonked Tottenham we, managed, we conceded our first goal in that game In that entire cup run Including the final One goal in that cup run And it was at, at the other end of it, a 4-1 victory Which we, you know And uh, as Mark was saying in this little clip It's just a class piece of Everton history isn't it So we'll sign out here And we'll, we'll play out with the
2: clip uh, We're looking forward to the game on Saturday um, we'll hopefully be bringing you a Match Day Live podcast. Um, so at the moment, it, uh,
1: it's a goodbye from me. Yeah, just want to say, if you're listening on SoundCloud and you have an Apple device, why not go and subscribe to us in the iTunes store? Uh, just search Not Bitter, Just Better. Thanks for listening once again. Keep on listening, and keep on getting back to us with your feedback and we'll catch you next week. So we'll now leave here with Joe, showing his tactical notes
2: and talking about... One of the greatest substitutions he ever or never made.
0: Um, and the state would have it. I did get the job when Mike Walker, went. I, I thought, I thought it pass me by when Mike got the job. To be honest with you, but uh, I was, I was delighted. And no, I mean, all it was, it was great times. But I've been waiting forever, in a long time, you know. Just, just taking, just, just to finish on it. D- Diamond again alluded to the the best substitution that I never made, and uh, how it came about with Daniel. It, it, it's this is probably a little bit before earphones and plugs and. Les Helm, who again the lads will tell you, a very basic scouser, great physio, calls a spade a spade, doesn't mess around, didn't like the earphone business, so we had a code if someone went down injured. And Rideout's gone down on the far side of the pitch, and I've instinctively said to Daniel, Daniel, get warmed up. So Les has a code, and it's either that, wait a minute, it's going to be okay, Joe. Fuck. <laughs> so let's just go on to Paul Ryder. So I've always said this, listen, Duncan was dynamic and would have spells when he would be unplayable. But as a pair, Diamond and Rideout had a great understanding, a great chemistry. The movement was awesome between them. And between the two of them on this day, the Tottenham Back 4, they were turning them inside out, they were running them ragged, and I wanted to keep Rideout and and Diamond together. So I got the call from Les, wait a minute, Joe. Daniel, get warmed up. And he thought I said, you're on, Daniel, because they sound very similar so Daniel sallied up to the linesman said I'm on I've turned around like that thanks Les no Daniel reggaeed onto the pitch scored two missed two And it was the best substitution I've never made.